Jesus Christ, and he's so good. So happy Easter, everyone. You know, I, I didn't want to come up here and, and bring, be the bearer of bad news on this Resurrection Sunday, but if I don't tell you, you're going to find out on Facebook what happened, and then how are you going to deal with it? At least now you've had an opportunity to pray for the people, and God knows they need our prayers every day, right? You know, we are in such a free country. We can go around talking about Jesus all we want, and not, and we don't even have to take a thought for our life. You know what I'm saying? But uh, there are people who are are in the face of death coming to church, right? I mean, they risk their lives every time they assemble, and uh, it's no it's no joke. You know, Christianity is real. We're, we have been raised together with Christ, and uh, that's what we're going to get into and see today. Uh, praise God. So I'm going to read two uh, passages of Scripture, and then I'm going to tell you a little story, and then I'm going to give you the message. Is that okay? Okay, so in Matthew 28, verses 1 through 6, I'll read that. It says, In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to draw towards the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the tomb, or the grave. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. And his countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. That's his clothing. And for fear of, of the angel, the, angel, the keepers did shake and they became as dead man. You know, when people are in the presence of the Lord and they kind of shake a little bit, it's because it's so powerful, right? And you know how people fall out under the power of God? It's because his power is so strong and they're experiencing his, present, his presence in such a great manner that it does cause people to just fall out as though they were dead. And here it happened right here. And then it says, And the angel of the Lord answered and said unto the woman, Women, fear not ye, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said, come and see the place where the Lord lays, where he was, but he's not anymore, right? He's risen, hallelujah. And uh, that's why we come on uh, Easter Sunday to church is to celebrate the risen Lord. The other scripture I want to read to you is in Psalm, and it's in chapter 22, <clears throat> And I just want you to hear these verses before we get into the message. Psalm chapter 22. I just picked out a couple of verses. Psalm chapter 22 is about the crucifixion of Jesus Christ and what he went through. And it says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? I'm going to skip to... Um, verse 6 and it says but I am a worm and not and no man a reproach of men and despised of the people and they that see me laugh me to scorn and they shoot out of the lip or they talk bad about him and they shake their head saying he trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him let the Lord deliver him seeing he delighted in God Okay, so let's get down to verse 11 through 16, and I'll read those also. It says, Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Many bulls have compassed about me. Strong bulls of Bashan have beset round me, or beset me round. 
I am, uh, they gaped upon me with their mouths as ravening, raving and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the mist of my bowels. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue cleaves to my jaws, and thou hast brought me into the dust of death, for dogs have compassed about me, and the assembly of the wicked have enclosed me, and they pierced my hands and my feet. So we know the classic Easter story that Jesus was crucified, that, you know, he was wounded for our transgressions, he was crucified on the cross, he was laid in a tomb, and then three days later, he rose again. One could say, on Good Friday, he died, and on Sunday morning, he rose from the dead. And that's kind of what we, what we know, but I want to submit to you that maybe Christianity, we're, maybe we're missing some of the details in the gospel message. And so, um, you can go ahead and put the first bird slide up. When I was a young mother, I'm just going to tell you a story about, uh, a little bit about me, but when I was a young mother, we had this house on Becker Lake Road up in Springerville, Arizona, and we had four windows in the front, and they were giant. They were so tall. They were, um, when we moved in, they were floor to ceiling, you know, because you could open the bottom ones, but then uh, one of my daughters put her head through the bottom window, so then we ended up boarding up the very bottom, but we still had the top that were giant windows, and we were on a half acre of land, and I would go out because I had three little kids that were really close in age, uh, my oldest, or the oldest one I was raising was 14 months when my twins were born, so you can imagine how busy I was, right? I mean, the whole house was childproof, and I still couldn't go to the bathroom without somebody getting into something. Okay, so, so we were, I was looking for creative things to do, so I would get a big bag of bird seed from Walmart or somewhere, and then we would seed the front yard. We lived on a half acre of land, and I would just pour that seed out just every couple of days. I mean, I'd just pour the seed out. And then all the birds would come and land in the front yard, and we would be drawn to the window, and then all of a sudden I could breathe because my three little ones and I were watching the birds out the window. And they would come and land, and they would eat, and they would take off, and they would play, and they would fly, and they would fight, and they would all do all these amazing things. And in my estimation of what a bird was, I thought I knew what birds were, right? I, I mean, we watched them for hours and hours, day after day, for months on end. We watched these beautiful birds. And this is what I saw in my mind when I thought of a bird, was a simple house sparrow. You can put the next one up. Or this little guy, which is also a house sparrow of a slightly different color. Go ahead. And then here's this little startling bird, and I would see him. So I knew, I knew there were a couple of different birds. I didn't really know what they were called, but I knew there was a small variety. Go ahead and put the next one up. And then here's a pigeon. Of course, I knew that pigeons and ducks existed because, you know, yeah, they're everywhere. This picture was particularly for Letty, though. So when Letty comes back, tell her I told you about the pigeon story. And I'm not going to tell you, but you just... See if she'll tell you about it. <laughs> so, but I knew these kinds of birds existed. And I really thought that I knew something about birds. And I went on, you know, for almost a decade knowing birds as these little guys that you've just seen here. 
Now, fast forward to almost a decade later, I had another child, and she was extremely interested in birds. Praise God. So I'm thinking, well, I know all about birds. We'll put some bird seed down, and we'll see some birds. And Letty, this one's for you. <laughs> I love you, Letty. It's just the glory of God that you walked in to see that picture. I know that. So, so as years went by, so we here we are going on these bird walks. We we found the Audubon Society in Gilbert, Arizona, and we started going on these bird walks at the Riparian Preserve. And I started noticing something about birds, and it didn't take very long when I was walking around these trails with an expert to learn that not all birds look like this, right? Go ahead and put the next one on. So this one's a blue jay, and I knew they existed, but I really didn't know what they looked like. And so I started adding some more knowledge to my, my information about what kind of birds there were. Go ahead and put the next one on. Here's a curved-billed thrasher, and this guy's really cute. When he talks, he says, quick, 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 quick. Um, so if you're out in the outside and you hear quick, quick, you know it's this little guy. And his bill is curved, and that's why he's called a curved-billed thrasher. He's still kind of that grayish-brown color. So in my mind, when I saw one like this, I'd still put him in the same category as a house sparrow and wouldn't be able to tell the difference because, remember, a decade earlier, my knowledge of birds was limited. Go ahead to the next one. So this little guy is a yellow-rumped warbler, and I just laughed every time the expert said her name. Go ahead to the next one. Uh, this guy is an egret, and we actually have these in Arizona. You can go to the next one, too. And this guy is also an egret, and we, these are pretty big birds. And, you know, I lived in Arizona for a long time, and I, if I ever saw one of those in the wild, I would have thought it escaped from the zoo. But no, they really live in the wild. So go ahead to the next one. And the, this one is fantastic. This one is in the, at the Phoenix Zoo, uh, but he does live in the wild. Uh, what is he called? Yeah, it's a gold-crowned pheasant, and he's just kind of a mixture of the pharaoh and a tiger and... You know, he just looks like one of those guys from the, the old days where they have their blonde hair slicked back and, you know, all their colors on. And anyways, it's just, it's like, um, take like 10 birds and squish them together. It's not photoshopped. I promise you, this is what it looks like. Go ahead to the next one. And then this one is one of my favorites. He's a little sandpiper. And uh, go ahead to the next one. And this guy's my very favorite. He's a black neck stilt because he's walking on stilts, right? And we have these birds in Arizona. Go ahead to the next one. And, of course, we know that there's woodpeckers. Go to the next one. And finches. So now we're seeing, now I started to see, wait a minute, there's a whole lot more to these birds than just the surface. Go to the next one. And then there's this kestrel. This little guy, he, we call him the cutest little pe predator on the block. I love this little guy. He's so pretty. But he is a predator, and he eats alive things. Go ahead to the next one. So he's mean. Don't touch him. And, of course, the beloved Gamble's quail, which is an... I, 
and they have personality. If you've ever watched quails, they have personality. They just, they're amazing. Go ahead to the next one. There's a point to this, I promise it. Uh, this is the Paraloxia. It's a desert cardinal. And uh, Paraloxia, which is kind of, it makes me sound smart to say it. That's why I put it in there. But uh, we saw this guy. This one's not my picture. I just stole these off the internet. But uh, this one we saw on a trail. Um, were we at the, what is that called, just outside of town? Not that one, the other one. Boyce Thompson Arboretum. I think we were on a trail when we saw one like this. Okay, go ahead to the next one. And then there's this little guy, which is actually the Oklahoma State bird. That's a scissor tail flycatcher. Now I'm just thinking God is getting fancy, right? But these birds existed all along, and I just didn't know it because I didn't really pay much attention to it. Go ahead to the next one. This guy, how do you say his name? A quetzal. This guy's a quetzal. Rhymes with pretzel. But look at the tail on that little guy. He's like this big. He looks this big and giant tail. He's beautiful, though. Go to the next one. Now, this guy is a little hummingbird. He's a bee hummingbird. He's the smallest bird in the world, according to this um, internet photo. Um, You can see how tiny he is with the hand. Go ahead to the next one. And now this guy is a royal albatross. And I just wanted to give you a kind of a, you know, I was thinking all birds were about this big and they were all that black little bird. But then we have birds that are tinier than our hands and birds that are as big as people. Go ahead. I mean, how could I miss that, right? This guy is another, another hummingbird. And just in the hummingbird category, like if you just take the hummingbird category alone, there are so many different varieties of hummingbirds. Go ahead to the next one. This little guy is a cutie. And uh, I don't know what the names of, are of the hummingbirds. All I know is the Anna hummingbird. I don't know what it looks like, but I know it's the most popular hummingbird. Which one's this one? Do you know? You don't know? Go ahead to the next one. Now, this guy is a tuft, what does that say? Tuft coquette hummingbird. Crazy. He kind of looks like that golden pheasant, right? All meshed up together. Uh, Go ahead to, is there another one? Or is that the last one? That's it. Okay, so you can turn those off now. But I want to show you the vast difference between the little bit of knowledge that I had, but I thought I knew everything there was to know about birds. And I spent hours and hours watching birds day after day for years of my life and missed all those colors and all those tail sizes and all the variants and all, like those things weren't even on my radar. And so I submit to you guys that we have known about Jesus Christ, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and we we know about it in a measure, but there's so much more to the gospel than we understand because we don't pay attention to the details, because we don't really get into the scriptures and pull it apart and start looking at and studying each and every piece, right? And just like I learned more and more when we walked around with an expert, that's why we come to church, right? That's why we listen to teachings online so we can hear someone who has spent the time studying and learning about the gospel and start to get 
pieces of it out by ourselves, right? But then we've got to do the study ourselves as well, right? Because then we're, I found the scissor tail flycatcher on my own. Haley and I did. We didn't see it in Arizona because it doesn't, it doesn't, doesn't come here, does it? It doesn't come to Arizona. But we found it and it was fascinating, right? But, um, so I think that that's what happens with the gospel. Uh, and I want to show you, you know, I'm going to show you what I mean by that. Just kind of give you a few little things that you can take that are probably a little bit more in depth than maybe you've seen before. And I want to encourage you to go to the Bible and to study it out or to keep coming to church and to learn more and to learn more and more about the gospel and study it out, okay? So we're going to look at a brief overview of the crucifixion in Isaiah chapter 53, uh, verses, well, 1 through 7, I guess we'll put up 1 through 7. Um, let's start there. Isaiah 53. It says, Who has believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness when we shall see him, talking about Jesus. There is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. But surely he, was, he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken and smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we were healed. And we all like sheep have gone astray. Everyone say, thank God. Right? We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Say, thank God again, right? Uh, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened on his mouth. He, he is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before his shearers is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. So this is just a brief uh, showing you what the crucifixion was, but there's a power and a purpose in every single wound that Jesus that he took on for us. There's a purpose and there's power in knowing each and everything that happened to Jesus Christ. And the closer we examine it, the more wonderful the gospel becomes to us and the more fascinating our redemption is because we can see exactly what it includes. Okay, so now let's look at Matthew chapter 27. I think it's going to be up here. For you, verses 27 through 31. I'm just going to read verse uh, 29 for you right now. If you could put 29 up for us. Matthew chapter 27, verse 29. And it says, And when they had planted a crown of thorns, when they... Uh, a crown of thorns, they put it upon his head and a reed in his right hand and they bowed the knee before him and mocked him saying, Hail, King of the Jews. So they put this crown of thorns on top of Jesus's head. And we know that thorns symbolize the curse. Um, in Genesis chapter three, I'll read that for you. In verse 17 and 18, it says, 
And unto Adam, God said, because you have hearkened unto the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree, which I commanded thee, saying, thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and you shall eat of the herb of the field. So uh, basically, thorns are a symbol of the curse. Uh, Thorns also can symbol worry and anxiety. If we look at Mark chapter 4 in the New Testament, Mark chapter 4, verse 18 and 19, and that says, And this is the parable about the seeds and uh, different seeds were sown on different grounds and certain seeds were sown uh, among thorns. And these are they which hear the word and the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the lusts of other things entering in choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. So the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, these are also thorns that they're symbolized by thorns. And then it says in back in Isaiah 53 that the chastisement of our peace was upon Jesus Christ. So that crown of thorns that was put on Jesus's head actually freed us from worry and freed us from anxiety and freed us from the curse of having to have the ground not produce for us, right? Freed us from poverty, just having that crown of thorns on his head. And then the wounds on his back, by his stripes we were healed, right? The scriptures tell us that um, he was bent down when he was carrying his cross and that the Lord likes us to be upright. Jesus was bent down so God could make us upright. And if you've ever had burdens on you that are weighing you down and causing you not necessarily physically but emotionally to just feel like so weighed down you can't get up and do what you're trying to do you know Jesus took that on for you he is the burden bearer right he took on those burdens for you and the um he takes those away in uh Psalms 145 14 I'm not sure if you have that one but um Psalm 145 14 I'll go to there and we'll read that one. And we'll read the next one too. Psalm 145, 14, it says, The Lord upholds all that fall and rises up those that be bowed down. That is, uh, shows you that physical healing is um, available. And then Psalm 146, verse 8 It says that the Lord opens the eyes of the blind and raises up them that are bowed down and the Lord loves the righteous. So, you know, if you just go through the scriptures um, and you see... The more and more detail you see, the more you can take hold of and lay hold of the finished work of the cross. But if you just are thinking, oh, he died, he rose again, that, praise God, you're enjoying some of it, right? I mean, I spent hours enjoying those little black birds, right? But I had no clue what was out there. And then uh, the wounds in Jesus' heart, Psalm 109, 22. Let's look at that one. I think that's the one I want to go to next. He says, uh, for I am poor and needy and my heart is wounded within me. And then in Psalm 22, we'll go back over there. If You have a broken heart. I've got news for you today. Jesus is the healer. 
Psalm 22. Uh, let's go to verse 14. It says, I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of me. Uh, if you have any emotional emotional things that have happened or your heart is just, it's melting on the inside of you because the pain is too much. You know, some, somebody in here has had that or is going through that and you're probably in that right now. And the Lord is saying that Jesus's heart melted like wax on the inside of him so that your heart could be healed and made whole. And this is the good news of the gospel. He took on slander. He took on rejection. He took on depression. He took on abuse. He took on everything. He took on hopelessness. He took on the deepest heart wounds that you can imagine that could make his heart melt within him so that we could have a whole heart or a healed heart. By Jesus' stripes, we were healed, right? In Psalm 147, let's look over there. This is a really important one. Psalm 147 and verse 3 says, He heals the broken in heart and binds up their wounds. Oh, hallelujah. This is what our risen Savior has come to do. He has come to heal up the broken in heart and bind up their wounds. His heart melted so ours can be restored. Hallelujah. No matter what you've gone through, no matter what you're going through, no matter what is weighing on you, he's the burden, he's the burden bearer. He's the healer, right? He is the risen Lord. And there's power and purpose in every single wound of the cross. Amen. And the more you get to see it, the more wonderful it becomes. He says in Isaiah 46, 4, I will carry you. I will sustain you. I will rescue you. If you're in a position where you don't know how to get out of this position, the Lord has come to you to rescue you out of that position. He's always talking to you leading you. He's rescuing you out of that heartbreak. Amen? The wounds on his hands and the wounds on his feet. In his hands, his hands were pierced so that we could have provision and healing and blessing and a helping hand, right? You know the phrase, a helping hand? He is our help. His hands were wounded so that we could have help. There's might and there's power in his right hand, right? So his hands were wounded so that we could have might and we could have the power of God in us. There's wounds on his feet. It says that uh, in Isaiah 52, 7, uh, how beautiful are the feet of him that brings the good news of the gospel, amen? This is why Jesus had his feet pierced so that we could bring the good news of the gospel. He also had his feet pierced because, let's go back to Genesis chapter 3 again, in uh, verse 14 and 15, I'll read that to you. This is part of the curse here. Um, that's the wrong chapter. Chapter 3 is the right one. I was just on the wrong page. 
verse 14 and 15, it says, And the Lord said unto the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed above cattle and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly thou shalt go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed, and it shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. And so this power and purpose in the wounds on Jesus's feet. Let's look at Luke chapter 10 and verse 19, and we'll see what happened that relates to that scripture. Luke chapter 10 and verse 19. It says, Behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. This is the power and the purpose in the fact that his feet were nailed to a cross so that we could have power to tread on or to step on the enemy. Have you ever heard some crazy Christians talking about devil stomping, right? Because they're stomping on the head of the enemy and they're not going to take it anymore. They're squishing him under their feet and we have every right to do that because Jesus' feet were pierced and because he rose again, amen? There's power and purpose in every single wound of the crucifixion and, and we just go on thinking, oh, Jesus died and then he was buried and then he raised to new life and it's like looking at those black birds. It's wonderful, It's powerful, but there's so much more. There's so much more in the details. That's why we have to read our word, amen? Now, this one I know you're going to love. His body was torn in two. And uh, let's go and see uh, Matthew chapter 27. Now, this is during the crucifixion again. Are you guys following me okay today? Okay, good. Praise God. I was a little worried, but I trust the Lord can do this. Okay, Matthew chapter 27, verse 50. And uh, this was during the crucifixion. Jesus is on the cross, and it says, And when he had cried again, because first he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And now it says, And when he had cried again with a loud voice, he yielded up the ghost. In other words, he gave in and he just said, okay, I'm dead. That's it. He left his body, basically. And behold, now something happened in the temple in Jerusalem during this time. And here it is, and it says, and behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain or torn in two from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake, and the rocks broke apart. So when Jesus, gave the Son of God, when he was on the cross and crucified, when he gave up the ghost, the, te- the temple veil that separated, this veil separated the, the place in the temple from the holy of holies where the presence of God dwelt. And that was absolutely torn into, clear from the top, all the way down to the bottom, amen? Now, Hebrews chapter 10 tells us what, why this happened and what it was a symbol of for us so we could see it. Hebrews chapter 10. And verse 19. 
It says, having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he has consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. In other words, when his flesh was torn, when he gave up the ghost, the veil in the temple was rent in two from top to bottom so that we, in our human state, could have an audience with the Most High God and to have God's presence, right? And so now there's no longer a need for a temple in Jerusalem because Jesus was the final sacrifice, right? You know, something that happened in the death and the burial of Jesus was that, you know, the people that crucified Jesus was the high priest of the time, right? He's the one that always gave the sacrifices. They are the ones that crucified the lamb. They gave the final sacrifice to God. I don't think that they realized that they were sacrificing the last sacrifice, right? But something else that happened in the Old Testament, Abraham had a covenant with God. Abraham, that's when Israel was kind of born as a nation, when God started choosing his people out was when he made his covenant with Abraham. So you have human, uncircumcised Abraham making a covenant with the living God right? The blood of bulls and goats and also the blood of Abraham. They made a covenant together and that's how Israel came to be and the line of the Jews and all of that, right? Well, so you need two people in a covenant, right? Well, here's what happened. When the high priest were giving Jesus over to the Romans to be crucified, they were on Jehovah's behalf making a covenant with the Gentile nations and bringing us into the gospel. It says in, in Psalms that, that dogs have compassed about him. When Jesus was walking the earth and the Syrophoenician came, woman came and she said, hey, my daughter has a devil. Didn't he say it's not meat to give the children's bread to the dogs, Right? So what happened, as the high priest is handing Jesus over to the Romans to be crucified, you have the blood of God, the blood of the, the Jews and the Jewish bloodline, and now you have the crucifixion of the people that are actually doing the crucifixion involved that are the Gentile nations. So then we can definitely say that Jesus died for the sin of the whole world. It's not exclusive anymore, this covenant. In John, 1 John 2.2, 2, see, sin is a spiritual issue, actually. Let me just say this first. Sin is a spiritual issue and a physical issue. And in Romans 8.3, God says that uh, he condemned sin in the flesh, right, during the crucifixion. God dealt with sin in the flesh. That means the natural side of things. He dealt with all sin for all time in the flesh, in the body of Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus had to do something in the spiritual realm in order to deal with sin and the spirit. Did you ever wonder where Jesus was for those three days while he was in the tomb? The scriptures actually say that he went down to hell. He went down to Hades.
Jesus dealt with sin on a spiritual level when, when he died. I'm trying to find the best way to do this, but uh, the word death there, when he died that death, it was plural actually, and it signifies both the physical and the spiritual death. And uh, in 2 Corinthians 5.21, the scriptures say that God made Jesus to become sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ, right? By Jesus. So as Jesus was hanging on the cross, that's why he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because at first he was at one with the Father. When he was here on earth, he said, I and my Father are one, right? The works I do, my Father is the one doing the works, and I do only what my Father says. Jesus and God were absolute one. And then on the cross, he was made to be sin. And so now he was not one with the Father God, but now he was one with Satan being made sin and sent to hell unjustly. So now Jesus is in hell paying the price for all of our sin. Everything you've ever done wrong Jesus paid the price for in hell. Now you don't have to pay the price for that. That's why we call him our savior. Hallelujah, right? Oh, thank God. We don't have to go to hell. In 1 John 2.2, 2, did you have that? 1 John 2.2, 2, I want to read you this. This is so important. It goes with the Gentiles and the Jews, and I want you to see it. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 2, and it says, and he, Jesus, is the propitiation for our sins, and not only for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Now, not everyone's saved, but salvation is available to everyone. And we can see here that nobody is sent to hell for a sin except that they don't believe on Jesus Christ. That's it. That's where the payment has been made, right there. He has been the propitiation or the substitute or the sacrifice for, right, or the scapegoat for all of the sins of the entire world, past, present, and future. Hey, Jesus died over 2,000 years ago. He died for future sin or we couldn't be saved. Hallelujah. That's good news. I'm not saying go out and sin. You're stupid if you do. But God loves you stupid. Amen? It's okay. God loves you anyway. But Jesus died for the sins of the whole world. In other words, there's not one sin that you could have done in your past that the blood of Jesus doesn't cover. There's not one sin that has happened to you with or without your consent, with or without your knowledge, or to your children, or to someone you thought you were supposed to protect. There's not one sin that could have happened in that situation that the blood of Jesus didn't absolutely cover. Thank God. That's why we can stand up and say, now, therefore, there is no condemnation for us who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? So I'm trying to give you kind of an overview here so you can really see, hey, there's more to this Resurrection Sunday. There's more to this Easter than I thought. We already know it's more than the Easter bunny, but thank God for the Easter bunny, right? Thank God for chocolate. 
God gives us every good gift to enjoy, right? But it's more than that, and that's why we're in church. But I want to show you it's even more than that, okay? Um, in the Old Testament, priests offered up sacrifice. The Old Testament priests crucified the lamb. The covenant, we already talked about that. Let's see, the burial, where did Jesus go? In Psalm 88, verse 6 and 7, he went to hell spiritually to deal with sin. I'm going to look that up and read that to you. And then we're going to turn over to the book of Acts. I should just keep my book open to Psalm, right? Psalm 88. Verse 6 and 7. It says, Thou hast laid me in the lowest pit in darkness in the deeps. Thy wrath lieth hard upon me, and you have afflicted me with all your waves. In other words, he has taken on, <clears throat> taken on all of the wrath of God on himself. And then in Acts chapter 2, verse 27, are you guys okay with me reading all these scriptures? Good. Praise God. I just think it's important to see it. Acts 2.27, it says, Because you will not leave my soul in hell, neither will you suffer your Holy One to see corruption. And then um, if you read that whole chapter, you'll see more. It's talking about the Son of David, who is Jesus, saying, You will not leave my soul in hell. So Jesus went to hell. At, his body was laid in the tomb, but his spirit was made sin, and he went to hell for us and on our behalf. And in First uh, Timothy First Timothy 3.16, it says that he was justified in the spirit. In other words, the sin issue was condemned in the flesh. We see that in Romans 8.3, and then justified in the spirit. It says, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, that's Jesus, justified in the spirit, right? Seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on into the, in the world, and received up in glory. Hallelujah. But this justified in the spirit is when he was in hell, paying the payment for all of our sin. And then God justified him in the spirit and brought him back up and rose him from the dead because death couldn't have any power over him because he lived a righteous life. There was no sin in him. He didn't fall. He didn't falter. He didn't give in to any kind of temptation at all ever, right? Hallelujah for that because that enabled him under the law to be the atoning sacrifice for the sin of the entire world. Just as one man fell, that was Adam, and doomed us all, right? Jesus came as the second Adam to save us all. But we must be born again. We were born into the flesh through Adam, and now we must be born again through the Spirit, through Jesus Christ, amen? And that is receiving Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior. In... Um, that's in 1 Peter uh, 3.18 says, Because Christ suffered for sins once, the righteousness, or the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. 
In the book of Luke, it talks about Jesus binding the strong man. That is him going down to hell and binding the enemy, binding the devil, and bringing back the, the keys of death and hell, right? And then uh, let's go look at Colossians, which is in the New Testament. I'm saying that for my benefit. Hard switching back and forth from an online Bible to a paper Bible sometimes because you've got to find stuff. Colossians chapter 2, and uh, this is what Jesus did when uh, what happened during this burial and resurrection thing, and uh, what happened to us as well. It says in verse 12, we were buried with him in baptism, wherein you are also risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who has raised him from the dead, and you being dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, has he quickened together with him, that means made alive together with Jesus, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross, and having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. In other words, when Jesus' body was in the tomb, his spirit was in hell, overcoming sin and death death and the grave and he was destroying the enemy and making an open show of it there was a parade in downtown eternity and then he came back from the dead and we when we are crucified with Christ when we're born again Galatians 2.20 says we're crucified with Christ and then we're buried with him in baptism. That's why we dunk you under the water, right? And then we're raised to new life with him. Hallelujah. Because he lives, we shall live also. But now when you become born again, what is that term? You are refathered. You had the natural father, Adam. And when you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior... Your family switches. Just like Jesus was one with God and then he was made sin and then he was one with the enemy until the payment was done, until he, you know, had that parade in downtown eternity. And then he was raised to new life and we are raised to new life with him. The scriptures say that Jesus is the firstborn of many brethren so that he could have the preeminence. The scriptures say that we are born again of the incorruptible seed of the word of God which lives and abides forever. Let me ask you this question. If the seed that we are born again from is of a divine nature or the nature of God, what type of being does that make you? You're not God, but you're just like him. 1 John 4.17 says that as Jesus is currently seated at the right hand of the Father, 
born again, one with the Father in all power, right? Far above every might, every power, every dominion. As Jesus is, so are we in this world. It doesn't say, so will we become in the sweet by and by, but it says, so are we now and in this world. And this is the gospel. This is what happened on the cross. This is what happened on Easter weekend, right? This is the death and the burial and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you, there's so much more. There's so much in the details. Not one detail was without great significance. And the more you renew your mind and the more you study the word of God, the more you look at what happened in the death and the burial and the resurrection of Christ, the more you're going to understand why people are trying to kill Christians. Because we are literally a new race of people. We are a race that is born from above. We are not of this world. We are in this world, but we are not of this world. We have the divine nature of God. We are born that way. Hallelujah. Not at birth from our mother. When, when our mother gave birth to us, we were born under Adam. But when we received the Lord Jesus Christ, we were born again, fathered by God, born again of incorruptible seed. Now he calls us children. We're the children of God. All my children are human children. I have I did not give birth to any children that came out horses or cats or dogs or birds. Why? Because every seed begets after its own kind. Every seed produces after its own kind. This is what the gospel is, you guys. We're born again of this incorruptible seed. We're raised to new life. We're a new creature. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that we're a new creature in Christ. We're a new species. We have the divine nature. Now we got to learn how to operate as new creatures, right? We speak. We, we see what Jesus did and how he operated. And we read the scriptures and it tells us that we're speaking spirits. Not getting weird on you guys. I'm just telling you who we are in, in the Lord. Now we speak. Just like Jesus healed people with a word, do you know that you have that same nature in you? That's why Jesus can make bold statements in like John 14, 12 and say, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the works that I do shall you do also. And greater works than these shall you do because I go to my Father. Because you're going to be born again. You're going to be able to do the works of Jesus Christ. Every believer he says, believers shall lay hands on the sick in Mark chapter 16. They shall recover believers. It doesn't say pastors or elders or prophets or evangelists or people with TV ministries. It says actual just believers should lay hands on the sick and see them recover. Now, what would you do and how would you live your life if you knew that the that any person that you laid your hands on, that they would be freed from cancer? What if I told you it would happen if you would open your Bible and read and believe it? Instead of making excuses why it doesn't work based on people's experiences, why don't you start learning about why it does work based on the gospel of Jesus Christ and spend your time day and night, just like the Bereans, search the scriptures and see if these things are so. Don't take my word for it. I didn't write the book, but I'm going to live it. Amen? Amen. 
What if I told you every person you prayed for could be healed? What if I told you that the next person you encounter that's dying from something that the doctors have turned them away for, you can just go to them and say, be healed in Jesus' name and see an absolute miracle. We have that power within us. And we're wasting our days distracted because we think we know something. I missed the scissor tail flycatcher, the birds with the long, beautiful tails and the beautiful colors because I thought I knew something. I was content. I was so happy with those little black birds. Man, we watched them fly. They were beautiful. It was amazing. I was content. But that's because I didn't know what was out there. And I'm telling you this morning, there's something more out there than just regular, run-of-the-mill Christianity. That is the new life, the abundant life that Jesus Christ came to give us. He said, I have come that they may have life, that Zoe life from God, that God is the source of that life and that light, that we, human flesh, could have that life and have it more abundantly. He wants us to know that we are absolutely one with the Father. John 17, he's praying before he left the earth, and he says in verse 23, I and them and thou and me and you and me, and and we're one, and I want them to know that they're also one in us and that you love them just like you love me. Those are some bold statements that Jesus says, but he says it because he sees who we are and he knows his purpose and why he came to die on the cross and what he had to do. You have help from heaven. Your help from heaven is Jesus Christ. Will you actually receive him today? Will you make him your Lord and Savior? If you need to rededicate your life to him, will you rededicate your life? If you've been looking at those little black birds and being content with just that, that's okay. I was so happy for almost a decade of just looking at those birds and thinking that's all there was to birds. Oh, and the pink flamingos in the zoo, right? I knew those existed, but I didn't know they were wild. Man, I didn't know I could be walking around a lake and all of a sudden see a bird almost the size of me. Like, that's kind of scary. If you don't know they exist in real life, it's quite a surprise. But when you look at the gospel more and more, when you see, when you start looking at it and see the details and just start combing through, what did Jesus do? What really happened from the cross to the throne? What, what does that really mean for us? What, how does it apply to our life? What does the scripture mean that I was buried with him in baptism and raised to new life with him? What does it mean as he is, so am I in this world? What does that mean? That's 1 John four seventeen. That is a bold statement. You know, years and years ago, I thought, as Jesus is, so will I become someday. In the sweet by and by, after I leave this body, I'll leave this body, I'll be in heaven, I'll see him as he is, I'll be like him. I didn't understand that when I look in the scriptures 
and I see Jesus as he is right now, sitting at the right hand of God the Father, full of power and authority and life, so am I in this world. Like what? That's why people die to get this message into your hands. That's why people lay down their life for this gospel. That's why people are trying to kill people that believe the gospel. Because the enemy wants to keep you with his thumb on you. He wants to keep you thinking you get to heaven by works. He doesn't want you entering into the, the new, through the new and living way, through the body of Christ, right? This morning we're going to receive communion and I want to give you an opportunity to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior if he's not your Lord and Savior. It's very simple. The Bible says that if you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and God raised him from the dead and confess that with your mouth, that you shall be saved. In other words, that you will transfer from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. You will be what I just called born again. You will be refathered from the line of Adam to the line of Jesus Christ or the Almighty God. You will become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You will become that and you will have that in an instant in the spirit. So I want to give you an opportunity to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and then we'll share in communion. So let's just all pray together. Uh, We'll just pray together. Father, I receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I believe that he's your son And I believe that you raised him from the dead. And I thank you, God, for saving me and for all that you did on my behalf. I receive it and I receive this new life and I receive your Holy Spirit and I thank you for the power. And I thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Now keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed for just a minute. If that, if you prayed that prayer for the first time or if you rededicated your life to God, would you just raise your hand? I'm not going to make you come down to the front. I just want to know. I just want to be able to say welcome or if you need anything, make myself available to you. We have a book for you, a free gift. Praise God. Okay, so we're going to receive communion. Um, can we have communion brought in? Thank you. Uh, In the Bible, right before Jesus goes to the cross, he's having the Last Supper with the disciples. And he takes the cup and, and the body, and he says, this is the cup of my new covenant. And that's the cup, the communion cup. And then for the bread, he says, this is my body, which is broken for you. It's broken for you. Now, if you're not comfortable receiving communion, you don't have to, okay? There's no pressure. If you want to receive communion, you can partake with us if you're born again, if you have received Jesus as your Lord and Savior. If you you don't want to, there's no pressure. Nobody's going to judge you. Nobody's going to say, oh, why didn't they take communion? It's okay. That is a personal thing between you and God, amen? So if you want it, We'll pass it out. We'll take it together as a body of Christ. If you don't, that's okay. You don't have to. Just pass it on. It's no big deal. We'll pray and we'll take it together.
Thank you, Lord. if you need healing in your body when you recognize that Jesus was broken for your body that healing can come to you today remember the heart that was melted within him so that your heart could be healed we'll take it together in remembrance of you. And he took the cup and he said, this is the cup of my blood in the new covenant. In the born again new covenant, the blood that was shed for the remission of sins. Take this and drink and do it in remembrance of Jesus Christ. We thank you, God, for your blood. Thank you for the deliverance that you have provided for us, that you wash us clean that your blood perfects forever us who are sanctified and we drink it in remembrance of you. Hallelujah. And we give God the glory, amen. You can just leave them on your seats. We can collect them after. Let's um, stand and we'll close in prayer. There are also treats out there for you. Um, Jennifer made some homemade macarons for you and uh, Charles's wife made cheesecake and please don't push anyone over trying to get to that cheesecake but <laughs> I have to tell you that that cheesecake is, is known in this church it is known so uh, if you see that it's the last piece and two people want some remember Jesus died so that you have the ability to share. Amen? <laughs> Hallelujah. 
Father, we thank you for this Easter Sunday. Thank you for raising Jesus from the dead, and thank you for raising us with him from the dead. Thank you for showing us that there's so much more to the gospel. Thank you for showing us just how wonderful it is. Let your message come in in us and grow in us this week, Lord. Bring us the scriptures that we need to piece it all together to see even more, God. Just like you taught me about birds through experts, Lord, and then we found other birds besides, Lord. Let people find other great details about your wonderful message about Jesus and about who they are as they go about their week. Let the healing come to their hearts, to their physical bodies. Let their peace come because the chastisement of our peace was upon you. And we thank you and give you the glory for it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, you're dismissed. Hallelujah. Happy Easter.